You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordchurch.org. Today's message comes from our executive pastor, Vincent Pavone. So I'm going to start out by asking a question this morning. Uh, Do you know where you are June 17th at 4 p.m.? It was a Saturday, by the way. Do you know where you are? Can you tell me where you are? Probably not. If nothing significant happened, there's no reason for you to really remember just a kind of an ordinary day. But there are some days in our life that we could never forget because of some event that takes place. We know exactly where we were when we heard the news. For example, I was in a prayer meeting with a group of pastors at our old building on Route 347. It was a September day. It was a beautiful day. Sky was blue. It was a Tuesday. Never forget. You got the news that a plane flew into the World Trade Center. You know, if you lived through that experience, you know exactly where you are. You know exactly when you heard the news. For those of you who are maybe as old as I am, uh, you might remember a day, I remember the day I was on a train station on my way home from school when I heard the news, I knew exactly where I was, when I heard that John F. Kennedy was shot. And uh, you never forget something like that. The day that you hear some kind of event like that, that really is, is life-changing, it's, it's altering. You know, I hope that you also know that there was a, a day that you could never forget when you first came to Christ. Amen? Uh, I tell you, in both those scenarios, afterwards, there, there was a state of confusion uh, after 9-11, there was a state of confusion. I don't know if some of you remember that there was a, an anthrax scare a few days later. And there was also a sniper who was taking out people at that particular time. So there was, the, the, the whole country really was on kind of high alert. All the planes were grounded. I don't remember how long they were grounded for, but, but, but the nation was on high alert. Somehow I fear that that we have lost that sensitivity of of being on high alert, probably because of complacency has entered in. I remember after 9-11, the day after, I was uh, probably coming up up Brookside Drive, making a left turn on Jericho Turnpike, and I was almost T-boned by by a thoughtless driver who buzzed through a red light. I'm I'm not talking about yellow, you know, boom, red. It was like about 15 seconds after the light had already changed and you just knew that everybody was distracted. There was a sense, a general sense of confusion after all of that took place. Now, I I mentioned those two examples because the church in the first century should have been on high alert, but wasn't. I mentioned that because some 13 years before, and, and, you know, the, the first example I gave was, was 23 years ago, and the other example is almost 60 years ago, but, but still those are very vivid memories that, that I know I have, and, and those days have, have impacted changes in our life. But 13 years before, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned to death. 
And it seems like maybe the church may have fallen into a little bit of complacency rather than being on high alert. Because we pick up in the story now in Acts chapter 12, as we've been doing this series in the book of Acts. And so just follow along with me as I read. At this time, King Herod was not a good man, began to persecute some of the believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. That is, he was beheaded. When Herod saw how much it pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. And Peter was placed under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. That's 16. Say that fast three times. Herod intended to bring Peter out to a public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. They prayed for his release. The implication is that when James was executed, the church didn't pray, didn't have that same sense of urgency. But now there is a sense of urgency when Peter's arrested because James was recently beheaded. My sense is that the church was shocked in the same way that we were after 9-11 or we were after JFK was assassinated. I think the church assumed that nothing bad could happen to James for several reasons. Going back 13 years before, when Peter and John were arrested, they were set, put in prison, but an angel came and released them from prison and said, you guys go stand in the temple area and you proclaim these words of life, to which they did. And yet the jailers had no idea how they got out of prison because when they went to inspect the jail, it was locked up just as it was before. They, they were absolutely clueless to explain what had happened on another occasion, two of the apostles were arrested and the Jewish authorities this time had them beaten and also threatened not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus anymore, to which they said, we must obey God, not man. And they counted themselves to be honored to suffer for his name's sake. And they were released. And when they gathered together and they prayed the scripture says the place where they were praying was shaking together. There was a, a great move of God. We need to remember that we are not struggling against mere Herods and Pilots or flesh and blood, but that behind the Pilots and the Herods are principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world. We have an enemy who would love to silence our witness. And yet every attempt to silence the witness of the, of the gospel of the church has met with failure. The church has only grown and multiplied. For example, when persecution broke out under the Pharisee Saul of Tarsus, wherever the disciples were scattered, they went spreading the word of God. And so it kind of backfired on them. Another reason why the church may have been caught unaware was because James was one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Those were, there was the 12, but there was the three of the 12. And people had an understanding that James had a very significant role among the apostles in the church. So they assumed that nothing bad could happen to James. James was one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration who heard the audible voice of the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. To me, that's a big deal. That was a great witness. In fact, Peter years later writes about that experience and says, it is proof that we did not follow clever, invented fables, but we were eyewitnesses of 
his glory. In addition, James was one of the only three men who entered the home of Jairus, who a 12-year-old little girl was raised from the clutches of death, and they witnessed that. But maybe even more importantly, James was among one of the three who was closest to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. For Jesus said, watch with me and pray, where Jesus sweat those great drops of blood. And so, in my opinion, James was too important for, for, for him, for anything terrible to happen to him. And I think the church was stunned in the same way that we were stunned after 9-11 or stunned after JFK's assassination. So the church began to pray. They realized this was serious. And so they called an emergency prayer meeting at the home of Mary, the mother of uh, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, but also the sister of Barnabas. So our story is found in Acts chapter 12 as we've started to read it. But there are two angel appearances in this chapter. In fact, the whole book of Acts is interestingly that it is punctuated with these different angel appearances. In the very first chapter, when the men were gazing up into into heaven and, 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 and looking at Jesus as he ascended into heaven, they, the two men dressed in white, they, they weren't even sure probably that they were angels. And you know, sometimes the scripture reminds us to entertain angels sometimes when we're unaware or entertain strangers rather, because sometimes they just may be turned out to be an angel. But I believe that it's good for us to subconsciously be conscious of angels' presence. Well, what do I mean by that? Let me explain that in a minute. Because I think if God would open up our eyes, that we would see that right here in this auditorium now, there are angels with us. There are angels all around us. There may be one behind the drums, one sitting up here on the platform, one behind me. Hello. <laughs> Why not, right? Angels, angels are ministering spirits sent for the heirs of salvation. Now, the reason why I say we should be unconsciously conscious of their, of their presence is because there have been seasons in the church's history where there's been an unhealthy interest in angels. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Paul wrote the book of Colossians. It was to correct the wrong view of angels. These heavenly beings are mighty in their service to God at the Lord's bidding. They're fellow servants, just like we are servants of the Most High God. So they serve God's interests, but they also serve God's children. And they provide for us protection, and they provide for us other things as well. Uh, they never will solicit praise or worship. And so that, that is important to remember. But, but the whole point of, of being subconsciously conscious of their presence is to remember that we're not alone in this struggle or this battle that there are more with us than are against us. And that's what chapter 12 reminds us of. I'm convinced that on a number of occasions, uh, an angel has rescued me from near death. And I think if we had the time, we can go through uh, some testimonies as well that, that some inexplicable, uh, you averted some inexplicable danger that you, you just can't imagine other than some, there was some intervention, and it could have been the part of an angel. Frank, at the end of the last service, or in between two services, was telling me about these two guys who were protecting this police officer who were built like football players and made their way through a crowd of people to protect that individual. And, and uh, 
the, the, the officer said to, so, to one of the other officers, did you see those two guys? And he said, I didn't see those two guys. I didn't see what you're talking about. So sometimes there are angels that, that may even appear in human form. But on this one particular occasion, I know in my life, I was five years old and I was struck and hit by a car. Back in the day, listen, when cars were not made out of plastic, they were made out of metal. It's called steel, you know? And do you, you know what a chrome bumper was in those days? It's like, a, it's like a house. It was as heavy as a house. And I was knocked to the ground, and I didn't have one single scratch on me. Not one single, at five years of age. And the, the driver who got out of his car and was so upset, you know, felt like he was lucky because this, this, there's nothing wrong with this kid. I haven't killed him, right? He, I was, he wasn't lucky. I wasn't lucky. I believe God sent an angel and rescued me. Some time ago, when we were in construction, I had just bought a new book uh, on Route 347. We were, I just bought this book that I wanted to get into so badly, and I wanted to get away from all the noise. So I went down to Jones Beach. This was sometime probably in late September. No lifeguards on duty. I was being harassed by these flies. I'm telling you, th- these were like, Flies, like, well, like, well, they were pretty big, right? And they, they would bite you, right? And so, so to avoid the flies, I, I went into the water. And I almost drowned in, in a riptide that, that carried me out so far. Now, listen, that day, there was, a, there was a hurricane off the coast of the Carolinas. And I had become so exhausted trying to swim out of this riptide. I called on, on the name of Jesus. And I know, I can't explain it how, but, but, but from one minute of being absolutely exhausted to the next moment of being able to step on sand, I don't know how he did that, except that an angel had rescued me. I believe that there are times that probably that you can relate to, and please let me know some of them if, if you'd like to after service. But we pick up then in verse 6. It says, the night after Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood at the guard, or others stood on guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off of his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed, put on your sandals. And then he said, Put on your coat and follow me. I love this chapter because there's suspense, there's drama, but there's also some humor in this. And I I see this as almost kind of funny where the angel has to tell Peter, get your hat, put on your gloves, get your coat, put on your galoshes and come and follow me, you know? It's like, I I think the reason is because Peter was in such a deep sleep. In fact, it says in the next verse that we'll be looking at that he thought he was dreaming or he thought he had a vision. So Peter left the cell following the angel but all the time he thought he was dreaming. They passed the first and the second post, guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. Let me tell you something. Gates in cities back in that day was the first line of defense against an invasion. Gates were really important. You don't leave those things unlocked and there was something to lock. But notice this, that they opened all by itself. This is, this is one of the original Jedi moments where these are not the drones you're looking for took place. So they passed through and they started walking down the street and suddenly the angel departed. Apparently those locks and 
doors didn't mean anything to them. Because Peter had a history of getting out of jail. 16 guards to watch one band. That's kind of overkill, right? But the thing that gets me is not the 16 guards to try to keep him in prison. What gets to me is how chilled Peter is. That he could fall asleep and be in such a deep sleep on what might have been the eve of his execution. I mean, put yourself in his place. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not, you know, wringing his hands. He's not, he's, he's not worried about what's, what's going to happen on the next day. He's not in a panic. He's so relaxed that he's sound asleep. In my opinion, this is the miracle of transformation. This is, the, is this the same guy who tried to save his own skin when he denied that he ever knew Jesus? Is this the same guy who pulled out a sword to try to defend himself and cut off the ear of the, priest, of the high priest ear, or the, the servant of the high priest, I should say? Is this, is this the same Peter, you know, who was cowardice in the face of conflict? No, this is a miracle that's taking place. And it's the miracle of, of grace that brings about transformation in our lives. I know I am not what I once was. But I'm being changed into his image day by day. And I know some of you, I could say the same thing, knowing your testimony. You're not what you once were. The Holy Spirit's presence in Peter's life was transformational. It moved him from fear to faith. I love this statement. A couple of people asked me to send it to them. Listen to this. The greatest manifestation of peace isn't the absence of conflict. Rather, it's quietness and confidence in the face of conflict. How would you like to have quietness of soul and spirit and confidence even in the midst of a great conflict? I, I want that. And the Bible says that could become our strength. You know, this is the reason why Jesus said, it's better for, for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and he can not only be with you, he can be in you. And the Holy Spirit brings about that transformation in our life. It was Peter who wrote, casting all of your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. Listen, that very well may have been the very thought that Peter had in mind when he wrote that encouragement to the church that God does really care about every single aspect of our life. And Peter was so soundly sleeping that an angel had to strike him. I like the way it uses that expression. It, it struck him on the side. You know, wake up, man. I don't know about you, but when I was, when I was like 17, 18 years old, on a Saturday, my dad would wake me up. But he wouldn't come over to me because it was time to go to work. He, 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 he wouldn't come over to me and gently shake my shoulder and say, son, ooh, it's time to get up. No, he would stand at the doorway. He opened the door. And you know what he'd do? He'd start to sing. Singing. I love my dad, but I hated his singing. And he did it on purpose because it was the greatest alarm clock. I'd do anything to hear his voice again. You know what I did with three kids to get them up out of bed? Singing. I texted Kelly last night. Just wanted to make sure. I said, Kelly, I said, did I ever wake you up with singing? And she said, yes, you did. And she quoted, arise, shine for the 
glory of the Lord or something like that, uh, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. I don't remember singing that, but <laughs> I do remember singing because the pear doesn't fall far from the tree. Verse 11 says, then Peter came to himself and he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And all this dawned on him. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where the people had gathered together and they were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter's outside. He's at the door. Rhoda. We all know Rhoda. Rhoda's that wonderful person that's just a little ditzy, you know, like a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You know what I'm saying? See, Rhoda may have had that reputation. That's why they respond. That's the only way I could figure out verse 15, is, which they say is, you're out of your mind, they told her. But when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, maybe it was his angel. Because there were angel appearances back in the day. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. In other words, they were blown away. What were they praying for? They're fervently praying for Peter to be released, and Peter's released and they're blown away by it. They were astonished when James was killed with the sword. And they were astonished when Peter was released. It kind of tells me that their corporate faith was hardly strong or praiseworthy. But it also tells me that even in our weakness, through prayer, we could move the hand of God. Amen? Once again, King Herod's efforts have failed. And the word of the Lord, the Bible says, grew and multiplied, meaning nothing and no one can stop the progress of God's word. We've got this incredible insurance. I said insurance on purpose. It's assurance, but it's an insurance. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. We need to remember that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. No matter what things look like, don't judge anything before the time. The next angel appearance takes place in the same chapter. And I'll just kind of give you the, the highlights of this. And it was King Herod dresses in his royal apparel and he's having a big speech. And the people to flatter this pompous king say, oh, this is not the words of a man. This is the words of a God. And because the Bible says he failed to give God the glory, an angel struck him. And he died of a disease. In fact, it says he turned to worms. What I want you to know is that the enemies of the gospel will meet with certain judgment. Sometimes in this life, sometimes in the next. And this chapter is a reminder to us of just how much God cares about us. He's not indifferent to our suffering. As we brought out some weeks ago, that when Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes it very personal. When we are afflicted, so he is afflicted as well. Sometimes God sets us free from prison. Sometimes God thwarts the enemy's plans. We say, well, wait a minute. What about James? James was beheaded. James wasn't rescued. God didn't send an angel to James. Yeah, that's true. 
But I think if you ask James seriously, he would say, for me, it's a win-win situation. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, which is our ultimate destiny anyway. Sometimes we're set free from prison, but sometimes we're set free from the struggle. And we're asked to enter into the joy prepared before us by our Father, which is in heaven. Those last two verses of, of chapter 12 are not the end of the story. They're the prequel. Yeah, I never understood why when you want to see what a movie's going to be about, they show you a trailer. Does that make sense to you? The trailer is something that lags behind, but meanwhile, it, it's giving you... There's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand why we, why we, why, why we drive on, on parkways and we park on driveways. Come on, somebody explain that to me. This, this is the, the mystery of the universe. All right. So it says, But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, what's going on here is that Saul and Barnabas go back from Jerusalem to Antioch, where they are going to set up their home camp for the next couple of years. They had gone to Jerusalem because one of the prophets in Antioch, and there were prophets and teachers and, and pastors in, in Antioch, and the church was growing there between Jews and Gentiles, and the church was thriving there, but one of the prophets said that there was a great famine that was going to come upon the people and they were generous and they took an offering and they sent it by way of Saul and Barnabas. And so now what we see here in this study is that no amount of persecution, no amount of attempts to silence the witness of the disciples was going to succeed and they came from a variety of sources. They came from political people. They came from Herod and from Pilate and from Rome. Or they came from the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. But no weapon formed against us will prosper. In a previous study, I think it was Doug that spoke about a sorcerer by the name of Simon. And he tried to dilute the, the work of God by, by trying to purchase the gift of God for money. And... Uh, he was dealt with harshly in that particular portion of Scripture. But all of these attempts to crush and infiltrate the church failed. And from a viewpoint of 30,000 feet, I got to tell you this, no weapon, nothing no, can silence the word of God and slow down the spreading of the gospel. No amount of persecution, no amount of, not even death can stop the word of God from being spread. So Barnabas and Saul, they, they go and they establish their, their home base there in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit now speaks and says, dedicate to me, Paul or Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And when they prayed and fasted, they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And they began to go from city to city, the first missionary journey. And they would go first to the synagogue and they would preach to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And both Jews and Gentiles responded to the gospel. But when the Jews who were jealous and didn't receive Jesus became violent toward them, they said, we now turn to the, to the Gentiles since you count yourselves unworthy of eternal life. This took place about 12 to 13 to 14 years now after all this took place. Surprise, surprise, once again, there's opposition, demonic opposition this time from a guy who is, who is Jewish and he's a wizard or he's a sorcerer. 
And his name is Bar-Jesus. And it's unclear whether he just simply tried to be associated with the name of Jesus, meaning son of Jesus, or he was just a person called the son of Yeshua, right? But what he tried to do was to prevent this governor in this region from hearing the word of God because he had an interest and a desire. And he invited Saul and Barnabas to preach the gospel to him. And so Paul probably warned this man before that you need to, you know, not interfere with this. You, you need to just back off and you need to repent. And because he didn't, this is what happens. And it really is powerful. Listen to this. It says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked at the sorcerer in the eye. And he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind, for you will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly a mist and a darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take him by the hand and lead him. The governor then saw what had happened, became a believer, for he was astonished at the Lord's doctrine or the Lord's teaching. It's powerful. What I want you to know is that Paul pronounced judgment on the man, not out of his own mind or out of his own heart or because he disliked the man. It says that Paul was filled with the Spirit. He was speaking a direct judgment against the powers of darkness. And yet that punishment was not permanent. It was for a season. In fact, it was the same kind of experience that Saul of Tarsus, who on the road to Damascus was attempting to arrest believers from, from place to place, and that darkness fell over him. It was the unmistakable demonstration of the power of God. So it very well may have been instrumental. It was instrumental in leading Saul to Christ, but it may have been instrumental in leading this man to Christ. This was the last time that the apostle is now referred to as Saul. But from now on, he'll be known as Paul. And I, I got to tell you, this is now probably 13, 14, 15 years after his own conversion. And why did it take so long for, for that name to drop? I, I believe it was because everybody in that first century who had heard of the violence that this man Saul had perpetrated on the church, how he caused people to be arrested. He confiscated their, their belongings. He, he was consenting to their death, and he, and he punished many of them. How that this man now was preaching the gospel, who was a lover of Jesus, who was so dedicated and devoted to Christ. I believe that that witness was a testimony to the power of God. In the same way that Peter was transformed and, and was moved from, from being fearful to being a man of, of great faith. So Saul now, Paul, was moved from being the persecutor to also now becoming the preeminent apostle who had such great revelations of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's so encouraging to me. You know why? Because Paul is my apostle. He is our apostle because just like Paul, we've been born out of sync or out of time. We didn't know Jesus after the flesh. And we're not at a disadvantage. We have the full record of the gospel. We could know much about Jesus. And just as Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so the Holy Spirit can bring revelation to our hearts about Jesus Christ. And I love the thing about Paul was his 
was his understanding of why God called him, who was so violent, who, was, who, who did these things in his unbelief. It's because he saw himself as being a prototype, a, a type of those for whom God would have mercy in the future. Because if God could have mercy and forgive someone who was so violent against the things of Christ, then there's so many of us who've done such less things in comparison that God can forgive us and transform us by his power. Paul never lost the wonder of, of amazing grace. He had that hunger to want to know more of him, forgetting those things which are behind. I press toward the mark of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus. Are you pressing to the mark? Are you wanting to know? Is the cry of your heart to want to know him? I hope it is. This portion of scripture really tells us that no amount of persecution, opposition, or conflict can ever derail or destroy the work of God. But let me question you about one thing, that we are to be on high alert for the enemy that lies within. And the enemy can take the form of complacency or indifference or apathy or compromise. And so we need to be on high alert for those very reasons. I started this message today by asking a question. I want to end today by asking maybe a question that will stir or move your heart. I hope that it does. Has an enemy attempted to prevent you from boldly sharing the gospel? See, the Holy Spirit's been given to us for this purpose, so that he might indwell us, so that we might become his witness to the power of the gospel and the power of Christ. As Peter was transformed, as Saul was transformed. So many of us have likewise been transformed and we have a testimony. Paul's testimony was uniquely his. Peter's testimony was uniquely his. And your testimony is uniquely yours. You never know who might be touched by how Christ brought you to himself and made his 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 saviorhood known to you. That story is uniquely yours. Don't un underestimate God's ability to use that to bring someone to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you personally don't have a relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that, that your sins are just too great, too many for God to forgive? Then consider this man, Saul, who was a blasphemer who persecuted the church and persecuted Christ, and God forgave him and used him to become the preeminent apostle that he was. God can forgive you no matter what you've ever done. Maybe you're on the other side of that spectrum. Maybe you're the kind of person that says, I don't really need it. I think I'll do good all by myself. Now, the reason why Jesus came is because no one, no one, other than the one who perfectly fulfilled the law, whose blood was precious because he was the God-man, can redeem us or save us in the justice of God. God loved the world that he sent his son. I hope that you never fall on that side. I, I would rather you think that you can't be forgiven because it's easier to convince you that, yes, forgiveness is yours for the asking. All you have to do is ask. And in a moment, I want to pray. And if you're here, that falls into you. 
your category today, I, I want to just kind of lead you in a prayer that you might open your heart to Christ. Peter denied that he ever knew Jesus and he was forgiven. He was restored and he was put back into ministry. Have you done something that kind of disqualifies you from ever serving the Lord again? I want you to know that that's a lie. It's not true. God can restore you. He loves to restore the brokenhearted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that as we come, as the band leads us in a song of praise and worship, oh God, that you'd encourage our hearts. And I want to invite anyone, there's going to be a prayer team out here, standing out here at, on the platform, down by the, by the ground of the platform. And if you'd like to come up for prayer, we'd love to have an opportunity to pray for you for whatever your need is. But if you're here today and you want to accept Christ as your Savior, just open up your heart with something like this. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. And most importantly, that you rose again so that I can have life, eternal life. I trust in you. Receive me as your own. In Jesus' name. If you did that, please share that with someone else. Can we all stand together? Thank you.